Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 2, My Dearest Failure, Games That Didn't Work, and Why. Recorded at Metatopia 2012 by Jason Morningstar. Presented by Jason Morningstar, Kenneth Height, and Rob Donahue. So this panel is about uh, games that we have failed with either failed to design, failed to implement, or that have just generally been millstones around our neck. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's a, a worthwhile topic, so worthwhile that I suggested it. So uh, my name is Jason Morningstar. Um, I'm Rob Donahue. I'm Kenneth Height. And we are your fail masters for the evening. There are other failures in the room. Kevin Allen Jr. here is an enormous failure. Huge failure. He's failed many times, and I'm sure... All of us, in one way or another, have uh, had our white whale, that millstone that has never uh, never come to fruition. So let's talk about those. Rob, I want you to start. Okay. My biggest failure pretty much actually can be traced back to the very first time I came to a Dermation or Dexcon. I don't remember which these days. Uh, because at the first indie roundtable I ever went to, I said, this is the game I'm going to do. This is the next game I'm working oh, on. Always a huge mistake. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> And this game is called Faith and Credit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it is a game uh, set in, a, in America at the end of the Revolutionary War, but before the Constitution, in that little Articles of Confederation period. Because it's this wonderful little stretch of American history that, by and large, most people don't know about or think about, where the states are really sort of these isolated nations and there's all these things going on and the secret conspiracy of the setting is to create the, the Constitution and there's all these characters that people are already familiar with and every time I sit down to write this, it fails so very badly because the reality is I'm a big history nerd and I think this is awesome, but I have not yet figured out a way to make this awesome to anyone else. And that sucks. And that is the curse of the thing that excites you so much that you cannot see anything else, is that what is awesome about it to you is not always going to be awesome to everyone else. That, there, there are many more failures, but if, if that's the first and biggest one that continues to hang around my neck. That's a great answer. I don't like to think about failures, because uh, I've always got games and game ideas that are percolating, and, and uh, what... What is a failure today is just a success tomorrow. Oh, well, everything, everything's, a, everything's a failure until it's done. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've got sometimes well after that. Yes, sometimes. So there's a number of projects that I have that have just never connected. They've never hit on all their cylinders, uh, and that I still have absolute confidence someday will. And probably the biggest of those is a game called Medical Hospital, which is uh, something that I, I dearly love and that I really want to want to bring to the world. Uh, to free the world from its non-medical hospital chains. Um, so it's a game about medical drama, right? Uh, everything from Nurse Cherry Ames to ER. Um, and the, the sort of killer app of medical hospital is going to be that you actually perform arts and crafts surgery. So you, 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 is that not a killer idea? So, and, and, and the, so you've got, a, you've got an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, which has a procedure on it. And you've got your, your scissors, which are your scalpel. And you've got sutures, which are post-it notes, office supplies. And you do uh, like a renal adrendectomy, or you do a, a esophageal bypass. 
and these are all pulled out of actual medical literature. They're real things that you do, but you're doing them with pencil and paper uh, and uh, office supplies under severe time limits with all kinds of things interfering with you as you do it. And that is so fun. Fun deck! How could this possibly fail? <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing. So, so that the other players must slap you. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into the many, many things that go wrong during surgery, but, but it's, uh, that piece of the game is just fun in a bag, right? Um, and uh, it's super cool and uh, probably needs to be its own thing because trying to build the, the role-playing game around which that is the conflict resolution mechanic has not worked at all. Um, no matter how I approach it, there's just, so odd. There's just some boring crap that surrounds this really fun activity that is that is pencils and, and scissors and, and post-it notes. Yeah, and uh, I've been trying to figure out a way to, to make this work because I want it to be a certain thing that it's not, and I think that uh, I'm a little too hidebound in not letting it be what it needs to be. So you have failed to design a role-playing game. For an awesome board game. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what I've done now. But I think that actually throws a good, you know, light on on what a failure can be, right? Sometimes you're like you've got the mechanic, and you think it's for this one thing, and the more you play with it, you're like, oh, it's actually for medical hospital, the board game, or <coughs> scissor fight, the, the the role playing game, or you know whatever. Right. But, no, that's a good observation. I think it's very true, and. It, I, th I think that I have a certain amount of arrogance and pride, you know, about what I envision this to be. That that is a vision that is probably wrong for what is good about this idea. I need to get over myself. Um, well, I can't uh, beat medical hospitals, so, um, <laughs> and nor would I even deign to try. But the, uh, I guess my thing that is the most like that uh, is the game that I have almost designed probably three times, and each time I start, I'm sure that I've kicked it, and then I get to this same exact spot, and it's like, oh, no, you did not in fact kick it, you just <laughs> forgot that that spot exists. And the notion is that it would be a basically a deck-building game, although I started my first of these failures before Dominion, which was that you are attempting, you are various factions of time travelers attempting to create your ideal future. So if you're the time travelers from Victorian Britain, you're trying to build a world in which the sun never set. If you're, if you're a bunch of Nazis, you want Hitler to win, blah, blah, blah. And the goal would be to build the deck of history such that your historical faction comes out on top and all the shit you want to have happened happens in the past. And each time I think that I've got the mechanic, you know, in terms of dimensionality of play or, or you know, colors of cards or whatever, and I start designing it, Fortunately, I, I, the, the, the first fail point, and God knows there's probably many more down the road, but the first fail point is before prototyping. It's <laughs> while I'm still sort of sort of deck casting and saying, oh my God, that's terrible, that won't work, there's no way to build enough cards, or in some cases there's no way to build enough interest in the, the, the system. And I suspect half of it is that it's a really hard trick to try and oh God, yes. do that. And the other half is that I'm probably not a very good card game designer. And I think between those two factors, this may bedevil me for some time. But that is the thing that every so often I will come around and think, oh, 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 this, this is the way to do it. I can, ha uh, no, that won't work at all. <laughs> and and uh, I have tried, uh, uh, every time I see a good or innovative sort of card-based mechanic or tile-based mechanic, I think this is, I will just steal this, and that will sneak me around that 
uh, that that uh, that block point, but it never does. And so I, again, it, it's it, I, I think like uh, like like Jason was saying, I don't think that I've failed. I just think that I haven't succeeded yet. And do you think that uh, that's an example of uh, not having perfect knowledge of your own limits? Oh, I, I, there's no way that I know what my limits are as a card game designer, given that I've never designed a successful one, and so therefore, how could I know? But I, I think that part of it is uh, ignorance of my own limits, part of it is ignorance of uh, the technology. I think part of it is just plain old ignorance. I, I, I imagine there's sort of a perfect storm of it's not going to work <laughs> going on in that. But the trouble is that I can see how great that game would be at the other end of it, and I really think someone ought to do it. And every so often, something comes out and I think, oh my god, someone has built my game, now I am simultaneously angry and relieved. Right. But it never turns out to be. I mean, when I saw Chrononauts, I thought, oh, Chrononauts, no, no, that's not it at all. That's completely not the game. Or um, uh, when um, my Microscope came out, I thought, oh, someone's done it in role-playing game form. Oh, no, that's not it either. <laughs> but I, I keep seeing things, and maybe someone will come up with another game that's still not it, but is that missing piece of the puzzle that I will be able to sort of pop onto the top of. I don't know. That that approach is a really interesting point. So when I sit down to design a game, I've, I have never made the game I intended to make. Mm -hmm. I've only become satisfied with where I've ended up or not. Mm -hmm. How often do you feel like, like do you, I will ask you through this question, do you feel that you like, this is uh, like, I'll throw it at Jason here. Like when you made Grey Ranks, were you like, this is the game I want to make, and then you did it until that was the game? Yes. Like, the, the vision was the result. You know, by some definition of the vision, yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. I don't have that experience at Can you guys talk to that? Failure. Well, <laughs> I, I don't have that level of clarity, but I also have the attention span of a chipmunk on speed. Uh, so it's more likely that when I come upon something that would send me in another direction, I will start another game. And so usually the process of designing a game for me, sometime at the end, is built on the corpses of four or five unfinished projects. Sure. But the one project is usually at least close to the things. If something was going to take me too far away, it's usually, unless that new direction really is the right direction, it solves a problem or answers a question that I hadn't thought of in the initial idea, then that's probably better suited to something else. Now, not always. Every now and again you can end up in a surprising destination, but not always. Well, I've got a question related to that, because uh, in my own experience, um, the games that I am the absolute most satisfied with them achieving what I set out to do are not the most successful. Um, the ones that come out that are exactly what I wanted them to look like generally aren't as well received as ones where I'm like, all right, well, I've got to put this out because I've got to be at Origins and uh, it looks pretty good now. So well, what do they look like to someone else? Not everyone else's. <coughs> there's, there's, there's a problem that can happen with when, in fact, it's a little bit like my issue with uh, faith and credit. When you've got too much clarity, it can obscure things for other people. If you have this really, really clear vision and you serve it perfectly, you're throwing up a couple barriers. Whereas if you get 80% to there, you suddenly expanded your Venn diagram to overlap with other people. Yeah. Sometimes a little bit of slop can, can make Leave things appeal egg. more broadly. Well, also, it's hard to say because yeah. uh, in my, uh, to, to speak to my design experience using, just using the gumshoe system, uh, Trail of Cthulhu is a game that I designed basically 
as an attempt to sneak Sandy Peterson's zeroth draft of <laughs> Call of Cthulhu back into existence. Yep. And that was my design goal, was to make sure that someone could, by dint of following carefully hidden clues, play Sandy Peterson's first version of Call of Cthulhu. I didn't know that. And mm -hmm. the rest of the game was, it's good enough, right? I mean, there's, there's some things in it that I'm really proud of and some things that were adequate, and the fact that I was resting on Robin's gumshoe system and Sandy's Call of Cthulhu meant there was, you know, there was no way to do worse than a B- minus at any yeah. point in game design, which really was a freeing, liberating type concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I don't think the game's a B- minus game. I think it's, a, it's an A game, but it's not, you know, 100% tuned and dialed, and if someone had come to me and said, can do a gumshoe Cthulhu game, as opposed to can do the gumshoe adaptation of Call of Cthulhu, right? Those are two different sure. questions. And so also the fact that I was never going to do a better game than Sandy's zeroth draft of Call of Cthulhu meant that chasing that A double plus, it was never even going to be a question. It, it simply couldn't happen because no matter what I did, the better game already existed. And there you go. There, there, that was sort of a freeing, liberating thing to do like you say, well, it has to be done by X point, get it done, get it off my desk. That's why, for example, I didn't really push the magic system until it broke and then rebuild it the way that I eventually wound up doing in the Rough Magic Supplement when I finally figured out how to make the magic system work. I could have delayed the game unconscionably and made it work and angered Simon tremendously. <laughs> or I could have said, well, I'll just clone the Chaosium system and it'll be recognizable to everyone and we'll worry about it later. Which it's is not like this is Nephilim. In fact, did. And then, um, well, Nephilim's a whole different question. Yes. <laughs> uh, but with Knight's Black Agents, it was very much something that I was designing from a vision that was in my head of Jason Bourne in the second Jason Bourne movie, having the Eskrima fight, but instead of the magazine, he's got a stake. Right. And that was, if, if I could make a game that looked like that individual frame of the film, that was the game I wanted to make. Now, Trail of Cthulhu obviously has the benefit of being Cthulhu, being, you know, adapted to Call of Cthulhu, which was a terrifically successful game. I don't think you can compare how Trail sells versus how Nice Black Agents will sell. Even if Nice Black Agents is the success that Simon and I hope it is, it's probably not going to outdo Trail. But I don't know if that's because I focused on a singular vision versus I was not working with Cthulhu. Right? Sure, right. And, 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 and so, that, that clarity of vision is really yeah. a, a thing because I'll fully admit that one of the reasons that may make it easy to not be too tied to that final vision is that idea of, yeah, there's this scene, and I want this game to be able to do this. That There's a lot of wet paths to get to that destination. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if that's the, what the vision, if the vision is not necessarily huge, if there's just a core that you got to do it, yeah, no problem. I guess if the vision was bigger, I'd have a harder time nailing it. I want to yeah. go back to Kevin's question because it, uh, I think it's important to note that the path that you're taking, which is sort of a, you know, a serendipitous path where you're going to end up with something really interesting that you're excited about that isn't where you started, is totally valid. And the fact that yeah. and the fact that well, I'm like, no, I don't work that way, does does not negate the fact that sure. there are people who. I mean, obviously, in Kevin's case, the proof is in the pudding. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. I, I, I think a, a big reason that I work that way is because it's the only way I can kind of still have fun with my own games. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a certain amount of tiresomeness mm -hmm. that you come to yeah. in crafting a product and having that, that it, 
evolves a lot for me and that I'm kind of learning about something. The ability to still be surprised and interested in the game design yeah. process yeah. is a valuable thing to do. And the longer you can continue the process of the, the, the fun part of game design, and mm -hmm. the shorter you can make the nightmarish typing, <laughs> the better everyone. Right. And, and, where you find, and where you find that fun totally shapes it. I mean, at, I love coming up with mechanics for things. God, at, do you ever. And so I do. And that's where I, have my, where I find my fun. So that's why it, it's kind of easy for me to just stumble along in that direction. Uh, but that's not, certainly not the only thing to be done in game design. Uh, now, I want to sort of cast this back a little bit to what Jason was saying where he's designed a game that may be a board game rather than a role-playing game and, and speak to whether there may be a, a sort of a difference between um, board and card game design and role-playing design that is maybe similar to sort of the similarity between cooking and baking where like one is science where everything has to interact and work or doesn't work and the other is a little bit more on the side of art where you can get to a point like for instance if you design a board game and you get to a part where a, 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 a mechanic doesn't work you can't just go I'll write some flavor text and the players will figure it out, it'll work. And, as opposed to something more like a role-playing game, where sometimes you, if you've couched the game in the correct sort of terms, you can do that. You can actually write atmospherically to the point where the rest of the game will inform how that is well, interpreted by even, the player. Even more to the point, at some point, that's the right decision. Right, you sure, should, you should be doing that. If you make a hard and fast decision, you have actually closed off gameplay. Sure, sure. And, and, but it's sort of a contrast to, whereas if you're trying to design a, a board or a card game, you can't really do that. Yeah, you like, have to fix the edge case. Yeah, otherwise that's just a big leak, and people will go, what were you doing? Like, you know, it, it reminds me of... Oh, you tried to conquer the Congo. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> an example would be, uh, this is just a translation error, but there was a, a Tilson Editions game that was translated into uh, English, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name because I played it back in the 90s, but it, it omitted the deployment instructions for one faction. And that was just kind of a deal where it's just like, you can't hand wave that. You know, it's, it's a... It's, you need to have this or the game doesn't well, that's, work. That's more of a typo than a design well, flaw. It goes to the same sort of indication of like, sure. if you have an omission in a role-playing game yeah. or a storytelling game, it's very different than one that is in a, a more concrete structure. And, and There's a sliding scale here because it's real, what it really comes down to is the more concrete the rules are, the easier it is to tell that something is genuinely broken. And if you, if you go on the sliding scale and you get to a game like 4E or the like, where right. if something's broken in there, it's going to show up and you're going to see actual consequences of that. If something's broken in J random fantasy game that's maybe a little more fast and loose and based on Rysis, well, you yeah. can probably get around. Well, that. I mean, you've got two types of elements. Yep. You've got your mechanical elements where if you make it so super refined, it's like the expensive Italian sports car, and it's really nice for the half hour you can drive it before you get it to Luigi for $10,000. You know, yep. and you have your Chevy, and your Chevy gets you to work every day. And you can say that, hey, that Ferrari's a lot more fun, but you can't have any fun going to Disneyland in your, in your Ferrari, because you'll never get there. But well, on the flip side of that, though, you could also make the analogy, if you want to get to the car analogy, that, like, hey, it's this kit car I built. So, <laughs> you know, this does everything the Ferrari does, but I know how to take it apart, put it back together, take it apart. Absolutely. So, but, I, but if you have your elegance and concept, where you'll have with some of the smaller, and I, I mean actually physically smaller, like indie games, where this is the concept, this is the thing we want you guys to enjoy, you're going to enjoy it. Right, and you're going to play it to a, a certain extent. Um, there was, there were, uh, they talked about the, um, the other secrets, right? Um, you come through, that game's great. Not five more times. Right. Well, they, this, this speaks to why failure is a lie. Right. Because the reality is, 
all of these things, there, there's nothing that is the point at which something fails. There is only the point at which you stop working on it. Um, no, there's the point. I mean, <laughs> none of that was true, Rob. No, no, it's not true enough. I'm okay with it. There, there, there are more specifically, it, most of the really final failures happen after you're done. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is the threshold for something that's more concrete and a more tight rule set, I mean, or, or, I mean it may be an obvious thing, yes, the threshold for that is lower because if you have done something that violates a rule set and it just doesn't function, um, well, flip side is easier to fix. That, 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 I think, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Well, I mean, it's the difference between a sculpture and a television set. Yeah, <laughs> one of them just has to look nice, the other one has to actually receive television. I, I don't think that's a fair True, but it's a little bit easier to fix a television <laughs> set than a, yeah, than a sculpture. Yeah, I mean, one's like a machine. <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it's not. But well, one's <laughs> like a machine that does one thing, and the yeah. other's like a television set that has things broadcast. Well, there, there, there is, too, a, a cultural difference a lot of times in the players of the different kinds of games. Cool. You know, if you have the board game player and a hardcore board game player, and you have the, the you know, the, the willy-nilly suited pants RPG guy, if, if either of them come across a broken rule, they're going to have different expectations to how you deal with that. So, you know, if you're used to building the kit car and you come across a broken rule, you're probably just going to be like, all right, fine, we're just going to fix the rule and move on. Whereas if you just come from a player culture of, that's what the rule says, stick with it, then you, you you know, you end up with a blockage. Does that argue for different levels of failure then? No, the, the, sure. the, the, well, design, the, the failure that the designer has determined is I failed on this game because it doesn't do what I want. And then the real failure might be the players don't think it's fine. Well, sure. I mean, there's all, that's the ultimate benchmark. Or, or the final version, the, the game actually cannot be played. Right, yeah, with that's, it. that's obviously the most concrete one. It's like, yeah. you can't play this. You so know? to moderate a little, there was a comment over here. Yeah. Uh, I... I, I Reject the idea that um, that with role playing game design that you can hand wave as much like I can hold can. up several games that very concretely but, but, but do. What, what you were describing, well, I mean, I have I'm a kind of role player that has a very board game mentality when it comes to rules. I want to know what the rules are. I want to understand the rules, and I want them to be followed, um, and I want them to work. Uh, and I don't, I, I'm not satisfied to just say, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. No, I, mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think you can't just simply have 245 pages of something that boils down to, ah, elves. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I think that you're absolutely right. The, the, the whole point of making a game as opposed to uh, exercise in reminding each other how awesome Lord of the Rings was is that there is some sort of expected uh, outcome to give an input, right? And whether that's a story input or a dice input or whatever, that that is the point of having it in a game form as opposed to an anthology of mediocre fiction. Sure, but doesn't, that doesn't mean it's very good. Play that are like that, and it's, it's like even more broken up than that. Though. Like within role players, there are heavy duty narrative role players that are real sticklers about the rules. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. But, but the, well, the rub is even that's that's fuzzy because frankly, there are rules that can be very concrete but still have a super soft and fuzzy experience. I, one of the simplest examples of this is if there's a conflict, then it's resolved by the table through discussion or vote or something like that. That is a workable rule. That's a viable rule. But that's a terrible, pretty <laughs> cheaty rule, too. It's really pushing that responsibility off. So is that a problem or is that not? So here's a, another example. So I, I think that as a role-playing game designer, you have to think very carefully about what you choose not to include. So, for example, in Fiasco, which objectively is a pretty successful game, there is nothing that tells you who says what when. No, nowhere. And that is a conscious decision on my part. 
Now, for someone who's who's uh, is looking for that rule, it's not there, and that's going to cause the game to break, and they're going to be unsatisfied. Uh, but what what happens is typically when the groups for which it does not fail is that they figure it out because they have a culture of play that allows them to determine who says what when. And that works great because the game is being played in a way that they're already comfortable with and familiar with because they didn't have to figure it out because they know because that's how they play. And that may be totally dysfunctional by someone else's yardstick. Absolutely. That may be the most charming, loudest speaker is the one who's directing mm-hmm. things and everyone else is playing second fiddle. That but can if, happen, sure. But if that's how uh, we all play games. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, but if, that's, if that's what the table just likes. Just speaking as a really loud, charming Yes, well, Ken speaks first. That's really the rule. <laughs> yeah. And there's, I mean, there are mechanics to mitigate that. Yeah, oh, but, absolutely. But, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a... An example. It seems to me, in, in any creative endeavor, you shouldn't criticize the creator for something he did for not doing something he didn't set out. Oh, you totally yeah. should. You should criticize the creator all the time. Yeah. As far as fail criticism. Well, I mean, there's there's a thing where it's something like Fiasco, where he didn't set out to put that rule in because he wanted to engender a certain sense of falling back on your own social habits as a core part of the game experience, and there's didn't set out to do it because he was ignorant and didn't know you needed to have a die mechanic in it or whatever, right? But to the, to the, to the reader, is that not... I mean, that, obviously that can be the same thing to the reader. But it's a totally, it's that's, a totally that's valid that's question. It's a thing. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, it's not, I'm not, obviously it's not controllable. And that can be, I think, lead to a case where the game is perceived as a failure even though it succeeded. You know, the creator has done exactly what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And sure. it's not necessarily on the... Once the creator gives it to the player's... <laughs> For them to interpret it correctly, does that make any sort of sense? Sure. It still be a success. Well, no, no, there, 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 there are lots, of, lots of reasons for something to fail. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, no you, simply if, you, if you just forgot, yeah, if, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you didn't read that one rule in Arkham Horror or whatever, and so you wind up having a dysfunctional play experience, yeah. that's a different question than are the rules of Arkham Horror good rules, which is a different question to are the rules of Arkham Horror at all well organized, yeah. which is another that's, question of, of failure and is a something. Which I guess is something we should which we should bring up. Much like your Tilsit translator guy, there are plenty of cooks who have an opportunity to piss in the soup between the yep. chef, you know, putting it onto the warming tray and it getting to the table. Uh, and some of those some of those pissers are people who work for the game company uh, and can screw something up. Some of them are your fellow players or the GM or uh, the guy who taught the GM to play. Maybe he's a great GM and he just... Some of, some, and some of these things are totally outside of anyone's control. But since this is a design panel, I think that focusing on things designers should be looking at and can control is maybe a little more productive. Well, I, As opposed to simply saying, well, failure is subjective, so next panel? Well, no, no, not, <laughs> not that it's subjective, but there are things you should be aware of. I mean, okay, to just bring up another failure. Um, Evil Hats, when 4E came out, Evil Hats spun off a little second business called One Bad Egg. Uh, for us to do 4E products because it was fun and we were excited and, and it was pretty cool. And I I made a class for 4E uh, called the Witch Doctor and I was very pleased with it, very proud of it, and I put a lot of work into it and I addressed a lot of the things that I th- thought were problems with a lot of the other classes and I filled a niche that I thought was interesting and it's got a lot of neat mechanics in it. And this was the worst use of my time ever uh, because the simple reality is the way that 4E was constructed, if something was not in the character builder, you could not reasonably expect it to see use. And that was not something that I'd anticipated in the way it was done, and I don't even think it was a particular oversight on our part, but that was a big old torpedo uh, that at the bottom line came because I should have thought that through. Um, 
So sometimes it's not that it's a design problem, sometimes it's a market problem. You can all, never, never be surprised if you're going to get, you can always get torpedoed from left field by something, no matter how much work you put into something. Yeah, that's why Marxism doesn't work. Well, <laughs> to, to flip around the question of failure, what what do you think of success as being in your design game? Fiasco. <laughs> yeah, fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, once Will Wheaton has played it on the internet, that's a success. No, I mean, <laughs> that, that sounds glib, but fiasco is, I mean, it, uh, things of the class of fiasco are successes. That is a design triumph, that is a play triumph, and it is a commercial triumph. I, there, it, it works on every metric by which you can judge a tabletop game, I think. Oh, and, and, so, and my assumption is that it is, from his perspective, a personal success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's almost irrelevant to the question, no, I think. But no, actually, but it's not, not, it is a metric. I was looking for your perspectives right. on, on what success is. But, 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 I, but I would say that if, if something you know, behaves like fiasco behaves, you can tell yourself it's a success and move on. And if it is off that mark in any given particular, that's the mark that you maybe look at for you know round two or for the next. Well, it's not necessarily well, fair, but it's less of a success. Well, I mean, exactly. Fiasco is an ideal type. I mean, you, you've got to set your you've got to set your metrics. I mean, if right. you're if you're making a fringy uh, German silent movie horror game, oh, you may that. make the best <laughs> fringy German awesome. silent movie horror <laughs> game in existence, yeah. and I'm there might be fifty that. people who buy it. Yeah. And for those 50 people, it may be the best game in existence. I will be all 50. Yes. <laughs> and so, and the thing is, that's a success as long as that's your expectation. Well, right. I mean, I think, I, I think expectation is an interesting word to bring up there because uh, just to make Jason more uncomfortable to talk about Fiasco more. Um, uh, the thing about Fiasco, I think, that, that really cements that success is that the promise of the game is matched by the experience of the game, right? Yeah. You, you, you go, okay, uh, Coen Brothers film, horror impulse control, all, all these mm -hmm. ingredients. You know, back cover copy is minimalist as, as, as it is, pretty much directly points you at the experience you're going to have in play, and it's consistent in, yeah. in delivering that. No, I mean, I, 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 that's part of what I mean yep. about Fiasco Absolutely. being an yeah. ideal type of a successful game. I mean, it's a... Oh, it's totally the target, though, because, yeah. I mean, again, e even if you're doing your German black-and-white horror game, we all would like our, our game to be popular. Commercial success is nice. Acknowledgement is nice. These are all good things. Sure. Is there some notion, just to take that model and look at critical success, you take a fiasco, you make a fiasco, and then you realize, oh, I do have this left turn here that's not exactly a fiasco. And it's still, you know, still not. No, I'm not saying just make Jason's game. No, I'm no, saying. No. <laughs> I mean, still it's make my game. Yeah. If, if you do find that left turn, that's an insistent left turn in your game. Is that not something to? I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, no, I mean, but but I think that I'm not saying the game should feel exactly like Fiasco. What I'm saying is, if your left turn is part of what the game is about, if your game is about um, instead of Coen Brothers movies, let's let's leave your example. It's about um, uh, Fritz Lang movies, right? And you've made the game that always feels like Fritz Lang. Every time you play it, you're playing a Fritz Lang movie. Sometimes in Metropolis, sometimes them, but it's always Fritz Lang. It's all I'll ever play ever again. It's, it's gonna. It, it's. <laughs> and it's and it's. It, where you are players playing the people watching the players playing fiasco. <laughs> that's a whole different thing. Um, that's a Kubrick game. Um, but 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 if your game that is that thing uh, is you know provides all of the uh, rewards that Fiasco does, then I would say you can certainly say that it's a success on the play level, that if it encompassed what you saw as the design going in, I, I want to take this left turn off Fiasco and make the Fritz Lang game, 
then it's a design success. Then comes questions of critical success and commercial success, and those are kind of out of your hands. Because first of all, RPG criticism is nascent at best. And so you may release a terrific game that then you know, sinks without uh, a ripple, or you may release a mediocre game that happens to hit the zeitgeist just like that and uh, spawns you know, thousands and thousands of, of hours of play. And uh, you, who can say, right? So the critical success is outside your control. Financial success is a little more inside your control just because you can make more of the decisions about how you market your game or how you sell it or whatever intelligently or less intelligently. But you can totally strive for an awesome failure. But, but, you, can't, but you can't drive a game to you know, hundreds of thousands of people buying it, certainly in this industry with, this, with, the, with our budgets. So those are things that I think as a designer you need to sort of leave down the road and when you look back and you say, oh my god, really? That many people bought my game? I guess that was that worked. I that was awesome. I should remember those steps and maybe try and do that on my next game even if I don't think that uh, the Fritz Lang game can support that or whatever it happens to be that your, your next game out, your uh, Akira Kurosawa game is. Or <coughs> Just um, kind of make one comment. Uh, make the game that you fucking love, right? Because that's the one, that's where the success is ultimately going to come from. Is a game that you're passionate about and that you're really excited about. There's not there's not a formula to emulate that's going to make uh, a hugely successful product on any of those metrics. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I'm sorry. I apologize. I just, I don't know, on the subject, I'm going to tell my own story here, on the subject of personal failure, um, I was working on my game for years. I hit a point where I realized it was not going to work. I just didn't have the capacity for it, whatever. I couldn't figure out how to make it do what I wanted it to do, blah, blah, blah. And I was actually so embarrassed by that that I stopped going to the forums oh. Oh, you hurt me inside. These conventions. You hurt me. That you explains know. much, but exactly. you hurt me. Well, yeah, that's why you haven't seen me yep. forever. But, you know, that, that was the thing. And now the only reason I'm coming back is because, you know, I think I'm doing well with the next thing. I don't know. Has there ever been a okay. Okay. you felt so bad about you were just like, let's just no. break okay. it a rock? So, aside from the fact that I, I've got at least one failure story that almost resulted in Fred punching me, that's, uh, that's slightly tangential. Uh, like, well, I could any, probably do that. Yes. <laughs> if, <laughs> if I had to lay bubble gum shoe a little more, I'll bet I could get Fred punched. <laughs> If anyone feels that way, please, for the love of God, don't. The one thing that you can control is how well, how well or poorly you fail. And the only kind of failure that's really going to screw you is one that loses you money or that you don't learn anything from. Mm -hmm. And everything that, I've, I, everything that I've ever seen in this hobby and in many other places that I would really describe as a genuine failure, not a temporary setback, not an inconvenience, nothing like that, has been someone who has been unable or unwilling to stop, listen, and learn from what they're doing. It is re and, the, and the thing is, I'm sympathetic to this because it is so easy to go down that hole and, and have that vision and not be able to see it and not be able to see it and pound your head against the wall and think that there's nothing else you can do. You can always walk away. You can always put it in the drawer. Failure is not a bad thing. Failure is awesome as long as you can learn something from it and you can say, all right, now I'm going to do the next thing. And I tell you what, nine times out of ten, you start doing the next thing, and suddenly you're going to one day realize you've got something for that first thing. Or maybe you're going to realize, you know, that first thing was actually a piece of crap, and I really have wasted my time on it. But be okay with that and learn from it. If you can't do that, 
then it really will be a millstone around your neck. It really will be something that drags you down. But if you can let it go and you can learn from it, then it's going to just make you so much better. I'm, I'm disappointed that Brennan Taylor's not here. Yeah. Uh, Brennan, uh, who's an excellent game designer, uh, started his <coughs> career doing literally everything wrong. Mm-hmm. He made a game called The Legend of Yore. You should, if he's here this weekend, you should ask him. Just be like, hey, Brennan, yes. tell me about The Legend of Yore. Because uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible fantasy heartbreaker, bad game. Um, and he printed thousands of copies of them to put in his basement. And he, like, he did everything you can do that is wrong, I th- I'm pretty sure. Uh, and, uh, and it was a disaster for him. But he, he found redemption by uh, writing a really good essay where he laid out exactly the steps he took, the places that he made mistakes, and how to avoid them. Uh, and that's on the internet somewhere, but it's a beautiful essay that was very helpful to me when I first started out. Mm-hmm. And he's very open about describing this experience that he had that we all want to avoid. Um, and so that was a colossal failure in one respect, but it's a huge success in another because it, uh, it not only did it... Uh, he learned a lot in that process, obviously, but he shared a lot in that process, too, which is super cool and uh, to, to be commended and also uh, a cautionary tale that's yeah. worth, worth listening to. But the one concrete tip I'll say, try to fail as fast as possible. Yeah. yeah. I, it, very seriously, it, it, it sounds flip, but um, this is something that you'll find applies to not role, just role-playing games, but to almost every project out there. You do something, you test it, you find out if it works or it doesn't, and if it doesn't work, you do something else. Hmm. And unfortunately, when you're a writer or a creative person, it is really, really easy to tell yourself reasons why, no, no, it really works, we just tested it wrong, or no, these are the wrong people, or they just don't understand. But no, test it. If it doesn't work, do something else. And this is all, I mean, design is iterative, right? So you may not have the skills you need or the experience you need or the wisdom you need to make it work right now. But maybe in a yep. year you will. There's a fantastic Ira Glass video that I cannot do credit to, but I can at least summarize, that basically says when you start doing something that you love, odds are very, very good that your taste far exceeds your skills. And that means that the first things you do, you're going to look at and go, that is a piece of crap. And you're going to want to just give up at that point in time. But what you got to realize is that doing it and making those pieces of crap is how you get to the point where your skills start catching up with your taste. So, crap away. That's that's my advice. Crap away, people. I mean, if you can uh, cut out that whole stage just by being a creature of legendary arrogance, that also well, works. Just if so. you can hike, you yeah. get to get around these things. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I don't have things that uh, are objectively worse than other things. It's just that I still think they're awesome. So, yeah. just move right along. Um, I, you know, it's it's hard to tell someone. You know, don't think that. It, <laughs> it, 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 don't you know, feel that. It, like the old line goes, you can't reason someone out of something they didn't reason themselves into. Yep. Uh, so, you know, whatever your response is, but my my basic argument would be that even if this is the art form you have chosen to dedicate your artistic expression to, uh, the stakes are so small that a monumental failure of role-playing game design or tabletop game design of any kind is absolutely insignificant to everyone. At least until you start spending money. Again, once yeah, you right. don't, don't, don't print thousands don't, of things. You know, don't fill up your basement. Don't no. um, uh, anger your wife. Those would be basic rules for everything in life, yep. not just game design. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but, as long, but, but as long as you can sort of have that sort of detached, you know, uh, 
uh, perspective that comes from, I think, in, in Jason's, in my case, reading a, a, an awful lot of history and saying, well, look, you know, this may be a colossal screw-up, but it's no peninsular campaign. <laughs> Uh, so we, uh, so, so it, yeah, all right, fine. I, you know, I killed a week trying to design a card game that didn't come together. Or I, I, um, uh, I, I spent a week drawing um, uh, um, uh, 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 first drafts of, of a board that I didn't have the geometry worked out on. And like Rob says, I have now learned that that doesn't work, and I need to yep. go back and try it again when I've got another spare week to screw on with the magic markers. But. I, I certainly, were I on Board Game Geek or wherever, even if I'd been talking up this game as the greatest thing since sliced bread, I doubt that I would see my failure to produce the game as a reason to not go on Board Game Geek because the reason that I would be interested in the art form in the first place, yep. and this is just me, not anyone else, is that I'm interested in the art form, not in my contribution right. to the art form. And I that's, mean, yep. I get an awful lot more out of, um, uh, well, out of... Um, uh, uh, Starblazer Adventures, a a a A minus fate game than I do out of any A plus game that I've designed as a designer. Sure. Because I didn't design it. Well you yeah, you already know this stuff. (laughs) So, you know, I've done some really, really terrific books, but there's a limit to what I can get out of those as audience. Whereas there's no limit to what I can get out of as an audience fiasco or some other game uh, you know, even a game that isn't an A A double plus game like Fiasco, even a, a B plus game is going to probably reveal more to me and reward me more for my involvement than a game that I designed that is really, really, really good. Yep, and, and this is actually one thing to worth looking at. There are a lot of games out there that have really failed in certain ways, and you can learn a lot from them. Um, so, and some of these are purely practical things. Secrets of Zoran was a fun little D20-derived steampunky game that is has one simple lesson, which is get proofs before you get the final print of the book. Um, also, your game should have a reason for existing. Also true, but you know what? It, it had steampunk at the time. That was technically a reason for existing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was literally illegible. Um, there, there, and there are a lot of lessons that can be taken from these things. And that's, and that's the bottom line. Failure is not a reason to stop. Failure is a reason to do something else. Which is like stopping. Yep. Which is like stopping. <laughs> it's a different kind of stopping. Well, I, I don't. Oh, sorry, guys. Uh, okay. Yeah, I was going to say the, 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 there's no there's no failure that can't be stripped for parts. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I sometimes the, the the parts that you're stripping from it are like with Brennan, the relating of the experience of of where things broke down. Um, but other times there's like that dice mechanic is excellent yep. and. Absolutely, does not belong with the surrounding text. Yep. Um, you know, and if uh, if you and, and just as on a practical basis, if you can't embrace failure, you're going to suck at playtesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just going to suck. And, and there's the and there's the simple, you know, sort of rote mechanical question, like they say, you know, your first million words are going to be terrible, so yep. write them as fast as you can. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, when you when you've written a million words of game text, even if none of them sold. Well, you've gotten those terrible million words out of your yep. system, and even if your next million words are still objectively not very good, they're going to be better than that first million. Yep. Just because, you know, actually repeating a a a, a craft makes you somewhat better at it. If it, nothing else, your typing will be better. Yeah. <laughs> it it may never get you up to the you know the the exalted uh, heights of, of Robin Laws, but you know it will get you out of god awful, and into just plain awful. So we have about ten minutes left. So we can uh, talk more. I actually have a question for editors in the room. Are there any editors in the room? There's an editor in the room. Are there any editors in the room? Seriously? I was trying to be diplomatic. I didn't know if there were other editors here. 
so uh, can you save a game that is going to fail? It depends on why. Um, and it depends on the, how willing the person is to work with other people. Um, if the mechanics are just broken, we can move it from suckitude into we can probably limp along. Um, but if somebody's really willing to work with me, and probably other writers, I mean, it, I think a lot of really great games come out of teams and out of understanding, you know, getting different perspectives and really working together and letting go of some of the things that you thought were brilliant that other people aren't following along with. Okay. Um, I think there are very few games that aren't salvageable on some level, but it really depends on what you're willing to do with it. And if you're handing off a game to an editor saying, this is done, it's perfect, you're just <laughs> going to fix a few typos, we're good to go, then chances are, if it's not already really solid, it's, it's not salvageable. You need to really be willing to work with this was, people about it. This was kind of a rhetorical question, because I wanted the room to hear an editor, what an editor can contribute. Oh God! Yes. Right. <laughs> so it's going to be a whole panel about that, by the way. Which is great. So, like, you, you don't necessarily need to be wearing your black beret in the garret and then produce your work like a beautiful snowflake into the world. There are people who can help you, and those yes. people are incredibly valuable. I, I, if you ever get a chance, um, read or try to read Noblest First Edition, and then read Second Edition. Uh, I am not sure there is a clearer example out there of the impact of an editor. Well, also part of it is that Rebecca is a game designer yes. who literally changes yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, I mean, no, no. Yeah. Change everything about her yes. changes. Oh, God, just her game oh, no, no, that, uh, no, no argument. Uh, not just her chops, yep. but her priorities shift. Right. I, I think everything was the right, was the right word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I, and, I mean, you're right that Nobilis first is considerably more opaque than Nobilis second. Yep. I don't think that there's a question in anyone's mind who's seen both. Yeah. Uh, and there are there is a, a class of games that I have seen and said, man, the second edition of this is going to be phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, the, the, I don't know if you guys have seen the game uh, Star Children, something of the Revolution, whatever that oh, was, yeah. sort of David Bowie space alien yep. game. And I looked at that and it's like, that oh my my god, the second edition of this is going to be awesome. But the first edition is just insupportable. Uh, but uh, you can sort of see the bones, and I think that that's what uh, an Amanda can do for you is. If you sent Star Children to her before you printed any of them, yep. she could maybe get your second edition to come out first and save everyone a, a great deal of misery. But this is another thing. Um, speaking about editors, but there are people out there who are game editors who are yes. not just, you Stylistic know... Stylistic editors. Right. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are a lot of people who can probably look at your text and make it read a little more clearly and all that kind of stuff, but game editors who have played games, who have, you know, helped develop other games are going to see issues that the English major down the hall is not going to see. And so if you get somebody who is part of the industry, you're going to get a whole lot more, especially if you bring well, in part of the design point. community. They don't necessarily have to be part of the industry. Surely. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, or if, if, if you're just not having any luck finding uh, someone who fits that, uh, people who are at least experienced with uh, editing instructional texts are yes. going to be a, like school books, yes. are going to be a, a huge help there too. Which, yeah, is, which again, is going to flow more towards qual uh, clarity than quality. Sure, sure. Just, I mean, not that clarity is not a quality of its own, but... Um, but yeah, if you don't have that editor, then you're leaning that much more on playtest. Yeah. yeah. 
which is its own kettle of fish, and yes. I'm sure that there will be a panel about that too. <laughs> there is <laughs> very complex. Yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes you got to strip a game down to the metal and rebuild it, and mm -hmm. that's a really interesting test because that makes you raise the question of what's this game about and why is it interesting and is it worth rebuilding it from from this much sandblasting? Mm -hmm. And hopefully it is. Any final questions? Anything that anybody who's wanted to comment on or ask about that they haven't yet? We just have a few more minutes. How, how do you know when to put a game on the shelf and walk away for a while? When you're getting really tired of it. <laughs> that's not the case necessarily. <laughs> well, <laughs> are you getting paid or not? That's the first question. <laughs> well, yeah, let's assume that you're not doing this as work for hire for somebody else on, under contract, and it's just it's, it's the game that you want. It, it's just not working. You, uh, when, when you start finding excuses to avoid it, that's a red flag. Like that's part of what it is. You also, on a computer, you can just save that file and start a new file at any point. Yep. Yeah, just come back to it in, in well, months. But but not everyone does the throw it in a drawer method I, of, of hand processing. I, so I do you think, have to work for what's... I do think it's useful to not work on one game at a time, but to work on two. Well, two um, projects at least. Don't Rest Your Head came about as a side effect of working on Spirit of the Century. Well, um, Spirit of the Century came about as a side effect. Century was an deliberate side effect of working on the Desert Hall's Army. So but, this may be idiosyncratic to us. Yes. But, but, <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was very much the, I'm, 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 I'm my head is so full of you know, gorillas and zeppelins and, yep. and, and, and fake stuff, and I want to go and do something that is really not that. I've got this idea, and you know, yep. four, four weeks later, I had a lot of dumbest year to work out. Um, yeah, so I'm the same. It, it's, it's very, very much that way, because I, I think being able to context shift, and especially radically context shift, does a lot of clearing the mental palette so that then when you go back to mm -hmm. you know, the primary project or the other project, however you think about it, you're, you're getting to something that it, with with fresh eyes again. I know certainly by the time we were at the end of Spirit of the Century, Rob was reading it and going, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, Rob, you wrote that section. What? <laughs> so, Question back here. He just used the term context shift. And I think one of the most drastic instant context shifts you can have is to admit failure. Mm -hmm. To like At the point where you actually bite that bullet and you know, hate yourself and <laughs> give up or whatever, you can... The, the eyes that you look at something with after that, after you process that, yeah. can be, it, I guess yeah. I'm saying, it's okay. benefit of failure. This has gone from a terrible surgery to a wonderful embalming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're, you're totally right because there's a, there's a, you can, your perspective can shift. There is a point at which this game has died, but now as a collection of parts that I can use for other things, or it's suddenly much more interesting. Even just, oh, wait, I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a It's you that changes. That's what yeah, I'm really glad. Absolutely. It's, it's, it can, being a quitter or whatever. It could be transformative. This is not directly germane failure as much as it is context shift, uh, context shift, if you have any layout skills, even if you're not your layout guy, take the body of your text and copy <coughs> something that looks artistic and then read it again. Because you are used to seeing what you wrote in the word format. You are used to reading what you wrote and will correct your own mistakes mentally. You drop it in something that looks visually different and everything that you've got off at least from your reckoning, will become apparent that fast. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. And note. unfortunately, I learned that lesson after I took our big code of from like 12 years ago, and we sent it off for layout and printed And then I had the physical book and sat down and read it. I was like, why the hell did I do that? Why the hell did I do that? Why the hell did I do that? It show up so much more clearly in print. 
Yeah. 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 Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah, this was, I thought this was very productive and feisty, and I had a good time. Russell, I'm glad you're back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes.